I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is Brian Kelly. He's here to talk about his new book, The Cut-Ups, Tattoo Flash from the Third Mind. But first, I have a couple of announcements of events I have coming up. Tickets are now available for the third Psychoanalysis, Art, and the Occult Conference to be held at Husits Biograph in Copenhagen, Denmark, October 14th through 16th, 2022. I've just posted the schedule and list of speakers. We're also having film programming in the evenings on Friday and Saturday night. The conference is three full days and tickets are available. Tickets will sell out fast as the cinema where it's housed has limited space. If you'd like more information, visit psychartcult.org. That's P-S-Y-C-H-A-R-T-C-U-L-T dot org. You can also email me at SinclairVanessa at gmail or vs at drvanessasinclair.net for more information. I'll also be speaking in Berlin in October, October 7th to 9th at the Occulture Conference. For more information, visit acultureconference.com. And in September, I will be speaking at Kessner Gallery in Hanover, Germany, on September 15th. I will be presenting The Tenderness of the Cut. And in December, Carl Abrahamson and I will both be part of the Bali Art Magic Retreat in Ubud, Bali, hosted by a fantastic visionary artist, Jake Cobrin. The retreat is two weeks, December 7th to the 21st. You can find more information about the retreat at baliartmagicretreat.com. That's B-A-L-I-A-R-T-M-A-G-I-C-K R-E-T-R-E-A-T dot com. You can visit drvanessasinclair.net slash events for links to all of these. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here. Um, I really love your new book and I can't wait to hear about it. And just so people know, the way I found you was I noticed you liked a few things on my Instagram and, but they were like random things from, and some of them were from far back. So I'm like, what is this person looking at? And I realized it was like the, the hashtag for cutups or something. It was cutups or burrows or something like that. Then of course I started looking at your page because I love people that love cutups and saw what you were doing. And I think it's really amazing this kind of cut up third mind tattoo technique. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, um, I just had a book published of them, but I mean, I've been doing it for well over five years, I guess, maybe even longer. Cause like I was saying, the pandemic added two years to everything. So it's hard to yeah, even remember, but yeah, I guess I'd had the idea like years before I started doing it. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily remember exactly where the idea came from. Like for the publisher, I told him it was while I was writing an MFA thesis. I'm not, I'm not entirely certain <laughs> if that's where it came from, but yeah. Anyway, I, I know I had the ideas for years, but actually like arranging the system was something that like, you know, stopped me. It's kind of like anything, you know, the procrastination, oh, I got to do this if I want to do that. Um, but yeah, eventually like I worked out a system and then I did it obsessively for years. And then I convinced a publisher to publish a book. That happened with me with cutups also, actually. Um, 
that I got really, well, I started out writing about them like from like a psychoanalytic point and then I started making cut-ups and then I just got obsessed with making cut-ups it was like five years of me just like obsessively making cut-ups I just do cut up like poems out of words and then I'd like record myself reading the poems and then I would like put that into an iTunes playlist and I would like shuffle the playlist and listen to my recordings while I was making cut-ups and I got this like whole like cut-ups wormhole And then after like five years of that, I came out of it. I was like, I need to like write about this whole thing. And then I ended up writing a book, but it took, yeah, it was like a whole process that got me really sucked in. I mean, I'm still sucked in, but like for a period, it was like, I was really sucked in. Yeah. I was wondering when people do like uh, literary cut-ups, like I don't even understand if what Burroughs did specifically, if he like transcribed it exactly how it's cut up. I mean, is that what he did? Is that what you were doing? I think, well, I think when he started, they they did. But I think they, that by the end, Burroughs definitely evolved to like uh, make cut-ups, but then like have it generate ideas. And he would totally embellish on what the cut-up said or like rearrange it a bit so that it would like say something a little bit more fluidly and things like that. So he definitely changed it around. But I saw that in your book in the intro, you said you're kind of a purist sometimes. And I was definitely a purist at, in this period I'm talking about. And my first book of cut-up poetry, it's like, I would not change a word. I was just like, I was like, no, it has to be exactly like that. And even if I pulled out some of the words, I also love that your book starts with the clip from To Make a Dada's Poem. I love that that piece. Um, but even if I pulled out the word like upside down and backwards, I, I would paste it in that way. And when the publisher published the book, they actually like would reverse the text and put it upside down for me so that it would be like exactly how it was. Now I'm not like that as much, but for, at first I was like really like, no, it has to be how it was made. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I guess I go both ways. It's like, I think when I stick to more of what comes out of the box, like it can be a lot more brain work sometimes. <laughs> Maybe I'm just lazy. I don't know. But I mean, I in general use it as inspiration, though, too. You know, it's like, as you know, like, you know, many musicians, like David Bowie in particular, would use cut ups, like, kind of as an idea generation, though, more than like uh, maybe making himself use the music. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be so pure, but it can put your ideas together in ways that you wouldn't have otherwise. That's why I love about your your tattoos is they have such like a dreamlike quality, like this woman coming out, like this part dragon and things. You can see the old kind of classic tattoos, but they're all like remixed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes like uh, the cut-ups come out of the box perfectly, but <laughs> other, other times it's not so easy. But yeah. I mean, because that's what, yeah, like in the beginning, I wasn't actually doing physical cut-ups. Like I would just like flip through books like at random and choose pages and say okay I combine these two pages but then like after doing it for a while I have like a full-on system where I have a box of photocopied like tattoo flashes that have been cut which is necessary (laughs) and then uh, I just like draw randomly out of the box it's very cool I also have a box I have now I have many boxes. I have like a box of words and then I have a box of like black and white images and I have a box of color images. And if I'm working on different projects with like collaborating with different people, then they all have their like own box, like my writing cut with their writing. I don't know. I'm kind of obsessed with cut ups. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like, uh, I guess ever since I started doing like, you know, a lot of tattooers, I think in particular, like the problem with like making tattoo flash is having ideas. You know, like a lot of people just like also like repaint old flashes, like, oh, like repaint this Sailor Jerry, I'll repaint this whatever, you know, which is fine and fun too. But, uh, you know, but anyhow, so it's the idea generation that's the problem, like for most people. And like now there's like no problem. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like, I don't know if you feel the same way about like doing cut ups, but, you know, I feel like I'm not like thinking them up. Like, you know, customers or people that don't really understand how I made the flash, you know, be like, oh, how do you think of these things? I was like, well, I don't. (laughs) It just happens. Right. No, totally. And that's the third mind space that you talk about. And and like Burroughs said, like, you know, nobody owns these words. The same thing with images. Nobody really owns the images. They're like there and you like 
put them together in different ways. Sometimes people feel like things are working through them in a way, or like from a psychological point of view, you could say it's the un- like letting your unconscious do the work and like putting your conscious mind kind of out of it a little bit. I definitely feel like I get in this sort of like trance state where I just like, it can be hours and hours go by and I'm just like, it's just in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it helps so much with like, you know, the idea generation but you know i guess like i know that i am you know it is being filtered through me so like i have a part like someone else looks at the exact same two cut-ups like i've maybe done a couple splits i can't remember it's hard to get another person to ever finish a split i've learned in my own uh, experience it's almost a joke among tattooers like to do a split sheet of flash where you would each draw on it and uh, it's funny how it's hard to ever get anyone else to complete it but like, yeah, if you give the same picture to two people, like, you know, or the two same pictures, you're going to get something else from each person. Totally. It's totally filtered through you. How did you get into tattooing in the first place? Well, I would lived in Minneapolis. That's, uh, well, it's not where I'm from, but I went to, I'm from Minnesota. But like, I went to uh, art school, the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. And while there, uh, I met, one of my classmates like tattooed and this was like maybe mid nineties. And when I graduated, he said, come work with me. And I said, okay. Nice. Yeah. And that's led you to Berlin. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was a long road, I guess. After like working in Minneapolis for a while, uh, I, I decided to go to grad school in Ireland. Not that I was really so interested in grad school, but I thought it was, a good way to move. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I lived in Ireland for three years, like two years on the West Coast uh, in this little village of like 300 people called Ballyvon. And then I was like, oh, I need to move to the city. I moved to Dublin. And I didn't like it very much. And then uh, I heard Berlin was cool. So I came here. Berlin is cool. You yeah. like Berlin? Yeah, I still like it. I mean, I think. I like a lot of expats go through phases sometimes, you know, but currently it's good, especially in the summertime. It's great. <laughs> totally. Sweden is also very nice in the summer. <laughs> well, like, quite similar for you where like, I mean, in Berlin, it's like very gray. Maybe it's not so bad in Sweden. I'm not sure, but like, yeah, it's very gray. And like the winter goes on a month or two too long. And then sometimes, uh, yeah, people start thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, no, where we live now, we've only spent one winter, but it was definitely more white with a lot of snow compared to when we were in Stockholm. Stockholm was very gray also and like rainy during the whole winter. It was like getting a little depressing, <laughs> a little drab. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it doesn't get as cold as it used to in Berlin, but yeah, still, I don't know, maybe I'm not, it's not so bad for me because I'm from Minnesota. So it's kind of what I'm used to, but my girlfriend's from Venice. And she has a hard time dealing with it. Yeah. She says we're going to Bali this next winter. Very Maybe. nice. I'm going to Bali in December. Somebody invited me and my husband, Carl, to be part of this like immersive retreat there. And so I can't say no to that. <laughs> How long will you go? Um, I think the retreat's two weeks. So we'll probably go a few days before. So I guess like two and a half weeks. No. Yeah. And even if it's rainy, I'm from Miami originally and Miami has like hurricane hurricanes and things. And so I'm used to it. As long as it's warm and rainy, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure it will be cool. How did you get into Burroughs and Geisen? You know, that's like, I was thinking about that before this too. Yeah. Like I was saying, I don't necessarily remember like, you know, I think as any like art student, I was slightly into the like the beat poets, but I was thinking about that. Like maybe I had first heard the name Jack Kerouac from a jawbreaking song. Like I can't remember which uh, song like uh, it's name dropped in. And I was like, who's this guy? And I was like, oh, the beat writers, especially when you're like a young male. It's like, oh, these guys are, you know, it's very kind of masculine writing for the most part or some of it anyhow, Kerouac in particular. But uh, so then I, I guess I got into that. I remember reading like Naked Lunch, which in my early 20s, which 
don't know, I probably didn't even digest very much of it. I don't think I understood that it was like a cut up really though either, you know? I didn't when I first read it. I'd seen the movie, which I guess makes slightly more <laughs> more sense <laughs> than the book in my opinion. But uh, yeah, so then like, I guess maybe from art school, I became interested in the beat writers. You know, and it might've been while doing the thesis that I'd gotten more interest into other things. Cause like probably, I don't, know, I don't know if it was while I was in my undergrad that I became interested like in occult things. I don't really consider myself an occultist. I'm like an armchair occultist. Like sometimes I'm interested in, and sometimes I read a lot about it and other times I don't. So, but you know, that's that, okay. Yeah. I mean, but that also ties into Burroughs. Like Burroughs of course is like kind of very tied into this stuff. And yeah, and I guess I only know Brian Ginson from Burroughs, like because you know he was actually the person who introduced the cut up to Burroughs. So yeah. yeah, but I think that a lot of people don't know that about Burroughs that he was like a total magician. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't kind of miss that aspect that he was like saying you could like you know make the future come through and things with his work. And even in the introduction, I pulled out the third mind book. Even in the introduction, they say it's like two and four all third minds at all times everywhere. So it's like they can communicate throughout time, which I think is a very cool idea. Yeah. I've never actually read the third mind. <laughs> you know, I've read, uh, yeah, I've read like Junkie and uh, The Naked Lunch. I guess uh, maybe some more Burroughs, but yeah. That's okay too. The Third Mind book is like, they basically took their early kind of experiments that they were doing. It's kind of very technical where they're like, these are the these are the pieces that we were chose to cut up. And then like, this is how we did it. Like this time we cut it into four pieces and rearranged them, or this time we did it this way. And then they show like the result of like what it said based on how they cut it up. So it's like very much like a manual of like, this is what we wanted did. And then these are the different kind of techniques that we tried. And then it's interspersed with some interviews and things like that. But it's pretty cool that they like documented their early work in that way. So if I run out of ideas of how to cut up things, I can consult the manual. Totally. <laughs> exactly. I've tried, I have a friend named Caitlin Foisy that we do this kind of third mind work together. And part of our work, we like went through and like did the different kind of experiments that they did together to see what our results would be. It's really fun, actually. They're so full of stuff that you can like pick up their work and just start anywhere, you know? Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw the book too that people wanted you to make a book and get these ideas kind of solidified uh, for posterity. How did you feel about that? Well, I thought it was a good idea, but as I mean, you've published books too. So, you know, like having the idea to publish a book and getting it published is a, a long game. It's a process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like I, I mean, I think the pandemic added to uh, the wait time of this, but uh, yeah, it's been like, it feels like forever. You know, it's like I've, I've moved apartments like three to five times. I've had two different relationships. I've uh, just changed my workspace. You know, it's, yeah, it's been like, uh, it's been so many years, but uh, yeah. So anyhow, I, I mean, I guess I was happy that I was able to see it through because I mean, I don't even know. I guess they're like, uh, like, I don't know. It's like, there's something about a book. If you're of a certain generation, maybe where you feel like, oh, look at this. I have a book, you know, while most people look at their phone for everything. But uh, yeah, something about it seems like, you know, like a real accomplishment, I guess, you know? And yeah, I'm very happy. It's, it's I'm not even sure if it's like entirely out in Europe because the office for the publisher is based in the UK which like post Brexit, like <laughs> slows things down once again. And yeah. Yeah. I saw that on the publisher's website. It's a bit, they go through like a different channel to, for the EU ordering in the EU. Um, yeah. But I know what you mean about having a book. It is nice to have it. And it is nice to have something you can hold in your hand. And I think we're of the same age range. I finished high school in 1995 and it looked like that's kind of around the same time as you. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's when I graduated too. So, yeah, you know, and maybe it's not the same to like younger people, but I guess like, or yeah, I guess like to me, like having a book is somehow like, I don't know, like, you know, when I was younger, it's like, yeah, I'd go to the bookstore and you're like, oh, look at this person. They have a book. They must have this like magical life, you know, but I've had like uh, illustrations published like years ago, you know, by like real publishers too. And uh, it did actually change my life. <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. It's an illusion. Yeah. <laughs> but the illusion can lead to greater illusions. <laughs> I, remember, I mean, yeah, like, when I was a kid, it's like, I always feel like, oh, look at the, you know, look at this author. This person's like, you know, you go to a bookstore and you think this person must, you know, they have like a nice house with like leather armchair and <laughs> leather books and everything must be set. And yeah, it doesn't always happen that way. Maybe some, somehow. Yeah, I guess that's not the reason to make a book. I mean, yeah, I guess like for me, like, yeah, I wanted as many people as possible to see it. You know, I think that's like any sort of uh, artistic person's like, I don't know, it's like we all have large egos, I guess. That's why <laughs> we would choose to do that. Like we think, you know, or at least I, you know, it's like I think I've made something that's like so fantastic. Other people should see it, you know? Yeah, that's what artists do. Art, art's usually meant to be shared not always but usually sometimes people just make art compulsively and keep it to themselves but usually artists share and that's also part of it and getting feedback and then uh, making more do you ever like show show the flash like in galleries and things and make make art, art shows that way not really I've done a very small show in Berlin but I don't even think I was making cut-ups at the point when I had done that and yeah toying with the idea of like organizing a book launch party but i haven't fully committed to it yet so we'll see but yeah well it would be fun and it's a it's great to flip through like i said i feel like it's very dream dreamlike like the images are very dreamlike um and they they inspire a lot like uh looking at the images made me think of a lot of different kind of ideas and things and yeah they're really nice really really nice yeah, it's actually like a very edited amount of pictures from what i had originally drawn i probably gave the publisher twice as much and then i had this task of deciding which ones were the best so maybe it actually kind of got the shape you know it like maybe it thinned out the bad stuff so like that's probably uh for the better yeah or maybe you could show the other ones in a different way yeah where's yeah. your studio located well i just had uh i just made a move yesterday so uh it's a little dramatic at the moment and uh so i'm i'm gonna work in a private studio with two friends of mine in Friedrichshain. And if you're not too familiar with like tattooing, there's generally like two kinds of studios. There's like the typical open street shop where you just walk in and you say you want whatever, you know, your girlfriend's name on you. And maybe they tattoo it on the second, but like appointment only means like closed studios are appointment only. So you have to contact me ahead of time and then I'll meet you and make, and then tattoo your girlfriend's name on you. <laughs> Yeah, but it sounds like that way it's usually like people looking specifically for certain tattoo artists that they want to to have wor their work. Yeah, and it frees me up to like travel and just do the things I want to do without, uh, you know, worrying about like, you know, the store owner having whatever. You know, the store owner, like, I mean, I've heard had several tattoo studio owner says to me never open a tattoo studio it's well, <laughs> fantastic you also have to deal with like a group of tattooers there's personality clashes and they all kind of have large egos and, group yeah. dynamics it doesn't matter what your profession is always like that you get into groups of people and it's just like turns into this yeah mess <laughs> if you own the studio you have to pay the rent every month regardless of uh however the egomaniacs feel so yeah i can i can understand uh yeah i can understand how difficult it would be to be a studio owner too 
No, it's a lot of stress. One of my best friends, Denise, when I was in New York, she ran a tattoo studio there. She managed it. And yeah, I used to meet her for lunch. She was always way stressed out, especially having to make sure that they could pay the rent, the like Manhattan prices all the time. I'm sure Bruins just as bad. You know, it's like, yeah, really rough. Yeah, I think Berlin's probably a lot cheaper than Manhattan. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's why most people stay here and come here, even though like, as long as I've lived in Berlin, which has been about 15 years, like everyone's been complaining about the prices going up the entire time. But I've joined this course in, in the last couple of years. But still, if you would come from Manhattan or if you come from California, it's so cheap. Yeah. You know, you'll be like, oh, it's so cheap. And that's why the prices you know, keep going up, of course. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty cheap, like relaxed city. I once heard that Berlin is where young people move to retire. <laughs> it may be slowly changing like we're starting to have to work a little bit now <laughs> yeah. i like that that kind of lifestyle nice yeah um and you travel to different tattoo shops in different countries yeah i haven't traveled much in the last couple of years of course because of the pandemic but except for like uh going to carl's corona like we were talking about before because uh, my girlfriend will teach yoga there and then there's a cool studio called sick boys so we've gone there and then i was recently visiting my parents like first time after the pandemic and worked in minneapolis you know so like as a tattooer i can pretty much travel to most places anyhow and uh and probably work while i'm there yeah so it can make traveling easy yeah, it's nice, but it's nice to be able to work and, and travel into different places at the same time. That's why I like working online so much because I can do it from anywhere. So when we've gone pre-pandemic on different vacations and stuff, I just would work, you know, in the afternoons, wherever we were from. Yeah, I guess I've always liked uh, traveling and working just because like, you know, like, you know, tattooing is like a social job. So it's like you get to meet the people you work with and then like you meet the customers and you know, it's like very social and you can kind of like, you know, I can kind of like get to know, you know, like other people and maybe go do some fun things with them afterwards and like offset the cost of having gone wherever I've gone, you know? Exactly. Yeah. No, it's great. I'm actually coming to Berlin in October because there's a conference called the, the culture conference, I think it's called. And Carl and I are both going to be speaking there, a culture Berlin. Yeah. That'll be fun. You know where that's going to be? It's in a former distillery in Reinickendorf. Reinickendorf. Reinickendorf, on the border to Mitte. Okay. I guess I have an idea of where that is. I can send you the link. It looks like it's going to be fun. I think it's their third, um, third time having this conference. They had a couple before the pandemic. And they asked me and my husband to speak at it. So that'll be fun. And then the next the next weekend, right after, we're having our conference in Copenhagen, which is called Visionary Medium Psychoanalysis and the Magic of Cinema. That'll be fun, too. Yeah, cool. October is always a busy month for the magic people. So everyone associates October with scary things. Yeah. <laughs> That's why uh, conferences happen in October. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they, you can also say that the reason like Halloween and all these things, there's like Scorpio season. It's, uh, you know, these old pagan holidays. and Yeah, it's that time of year for a reason. Things are getting darker. So I guess you could look at it either way. But usually October is very busy for occultists. Yeah. Maybe it's like in the summertime, people just like, earn as a cult do you think that's possible <laughs> totally they just want to have fun <laughs> it's yeah exactly go to the beach wear pink <laughs> I first got into like a cult stuff but was probably in the winter time like in minneapolis you know it was it was actually like reading the comic book uh the invisibles which oh cool do you know this? Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like yeah, like it's such a complex, long uh, series with many things if you want to like explore it like, you know, afterwards. 
And yeah, I mean, that's where like, you know, lots of things kind of tied together, like Burroughs. And there's a lot of like very well-known like kind of pop culture figures that will be connected, you know, in whichever way to, uh, yeah, to other, yeah, other occult ideas and, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's something that's only coming into mainstream culture a bit more now is like the fact that a lot of artists and well-known writers and things have had like magical practices or cult leanings um, like Pete Mondrian and Yates. And, you know, there's just like a ton, a ton of people. And, uh, you know, it's like their body of work has like been in the canon or whatever, like the mainstream, like official, like this is art speak but it's never they never talk about the magic magical practices they're totally discounted it's such a shame because like if you like somebody's writing and this whole aspect of their work then why would you like discount this other aspect that they were clearly like really into it was like a big part of their lives but it's like I'm currently reading this book called Lost Knowledge of the Imagination by uh, Gary Lockman and he he talks about it as um excluded knowledge it's like it's knowledge that's been purposefully excluded from like mainstream culture um yeah and it's just such a shame but yeah i think it's making some sort of resurgence but it has done that before and then it goes back underground again so we'll see it's interesting to see yeah some people would say like in the last like i don't know how many years but like you know they had the movie like 23 which i never saw but you know i understand what it's coming from and i saw i don't really know how much it expressed whatever ideas you know but yeah but it's out there yeah same thing i saw that too but i haven't i didn't actually see the movie but i will have to watch it at some point um yeah and just like i said before like burroughs like like a lot of people know burroughs but they don't understand that he was into you know magic and same thing with geis and you know they were they're all into magic even uh my husband and i were friends with genesis Peorge, and like when i was in new york and i went to uh, one of Jen's shows I went with like a friend who was like from art school and they were like oh I didn't know that that Genesis was a magician and I was just like what do you think like all of this work is about like they're all sigils and like you know collages with blood on them and hair and things and it's like what do you think that they were doing you know <laughs> so, like I don't even understand how the uh how people are seeing this art not seeing that it's having to do something to do with magic. It's like, I don't even understand what they think it is. It's very strange to me. Or even I just bought, I just ordered John Giorno's biography or autobiography that came out and I want to start reading it this week. But like, even when I went to order it on Amazon, they're like, John Giorno wasn't, you know, famous in his lifetime. It's like his, but he's like associated with all these people, all the beads and burrows and all this stuff, Warhol. And it's like, really like, I don't know. To me, I'm like, who doesn't know who John Joyno is? I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's just weird. I don't know what the mainstream sees. <laughs> I don't see it. <laughs> I would find it strange to even know who Genesis Forge is without like thinking out there's a magical element. Exactly. That's how I felt. Like, I was like, how do you like, to me, Genesis isn't magician before an artist you know it's like the art came out of their magical practices um but yeah then my friend like was an art school person and was like oh yeah we learned about this in art school but not about the magic part of it like what was like what was happening what are they teaching you you know (laughs) I don't understand you don't know about the temple of psychic use (laughs) yeah uh yeah I have a friend who lives in Palermo I'm always like meaning to go uh, visit the temple of Thelema <laughs> while well, there. I guess it's like nothing to see really, according to him. According to anyone who grew up in Palermo, it's not yeah. much to uh, look at. Like, you know, I, I go to yoga and like I actually got into yoga because of Alistair Crowley. Like I'd read that he was like such a yogi. And I was like, you know, if it's good enough for him, I could probably do it then, you know, because like, of course, uh, you know, yoga will have kind of a negative connotation sometimes to people that like, oh, you're one of those yoga people, blah, 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 you know, but I guess when I learned that Crowley had done it, I was like, I could do it too. Yeah, (laughs) totally. It's not just for housewives. (laughs) No, I I love it as well. And I haven't been to the the temple at Palermo, but my husband has, and um, 
Yeah, I'm sure even if it's not much to look at, I'm sure that there's a presence, you know. Um, I feel like our all of our like vacations or anytime we go anywhere, we always like have to find some sort of like little pilgrimage to make or like magical spots to go to. Um, Cause yeah, I don't, I, that's how I organize my life pretty much. Don't know. Um, I can't imagine just going on vacation and just like, yeah, hanging out. I always have to like find some sort of like who, what artist is around here? What's, what kind of spot can we go to? Like when we went to Portugal, uh, Crowley, like, uh, did this whole like fake suicide thing at the Boca de Inferno. So we went there and went to Sintra and um, there's a, also in Portugal, there's this great like story of this like real true life corpse bride named Inés de Castro, who's like husband who's like Don Pedro. He like, literally she died or she was killed uh, because she was his mistress and he and her, his wife's brothers killed her and they buried her and he literally dug her up, her corpse and like put her corpse on the throne and like declared her the queen and like made everybody line up and like kiss her hand. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> like somebody actually did that. <laughs> and so which part did you visit? Like where it happened or yeah, we went to the, there's like a big monastery and a church where they're both buried. Um, and there's a monastery there that he built. Um, but yeah, uh, we went, we, we drove all around. We went, flew into Lisbon and drove to Porto and just like Evola and like all these different places. Um, we were just driving around and like finding spots like that and like going to them. Um, yeah, I love that stuff. That's how I organize things. When I travel, it's like tattoos. <laughs> yeah. See? <laughs> Ways to organize our lives. Yeah. It's like pretty much always based around that. Or, oh, let's go here. Well, where could I tattoo in that location? Oh, let, let me look. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have uh, direction sometimes, right? <laughs> totally. And we we just went to Bordeaux for a friend's wedding that was rescheduled from before the pandemic also. And uh, uh, we ended up going to Montaigne's castle. That was very cool as well. His castle was like, it had all burned down in, in the 1800s, but the tower that he like actually wrote all of his books in didn't bur burn down. It was the only part that didn't. So they rebuilt everything else, but the tower was original. And that definitely had a presence. You walked in there and you felt like, you know, kind of tingly and I don't know. Stuff had happened there. People people are turned on and it, it sticks around, you know? Yeah. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention that we didn't get to? Um, not that I can think of. Uh, yeah. Currently having a huge shift in my life, just uh, changing my workspaces. So, and I've been anxiously waiting for this book to be fully released for the last couple of years and it seems like it might be there or it's very close to it finally so and that's very good yeah well it's a beautiful book and you do beautiful work um and i love the idea about it oh i know what i wanted to ask you also um you said you specifically liked to focus on mostly focus on tattoos from like the early like 1930s and 1950s um what do you like about that era i love that era yeah, I guess to me, I mean, like when I got into tattooing, I probably got into tattooing in like the 90s, which meant that like tribal was still big, which is, you know, like the first wave of tribal, which I guess is looked down upon a lot of times today. But, you know, it was very like, uh, you know, it was very like, it was a big deal. It was like new at the time, but, you know, but yeah, I mean, like when people get into their first tattoos, they usually like grow out of it and whatever, like I've covered up tribal things I have, you know? And then like, I guess for me, like, you know, being like a white male, like I feel like that sort of like tattooing is like my culture. Like, you know, I have no attachment to Japanese tattoos. Like I can appreciate them and like the work can be amazing. But I personally have just like no desire to get them and like, yeah, no attachment to it. and no no great desire to even make work like that um partly because it's so difficult <laughs> but uh 
Yeah, so I mean, I'm just, yeah, much very attracted to that sort of thing because, yeah, because of where I come from, I guess, you know? That was the other thing about like the cut-ups of using those images though, is that like a lot of people will say that, you know, like these sort of like very simple like images are like, you know, it's like a distillation of an idea. Like you have like, you know, just like a heart shape. And, uh, you know, it's like such a powerful statement because it's so simple. So what happens when you cut that up and like with, with like a random element, do you make like a new deep desire, you know, is something else being expressed if you combine like many of these great desires into like a new arrangement? Yeah. I also threw in like other things I had just to, yeah, just to make it more complex. And yeah, I mean, there's some like sculpture books that were used in the cut up boxes. I was using a lot of like the Russian criminal tattoos in some of the earlier cut-ups, which are you aware of like the Russian criminal? Mm -mm, tell me about them. Like, I can't remember when they came out. Like the first one was probably released about the time I went to grad school. So maybe like early 2000s. And like, like it's pretty much the greatest collection of tattoo flash now. Like I think when they came out, like it's mostly these books, there's some photos, but it's mostly like books the books are mostly like uh, like a, a guards like drawings of uh, the prisoners' tattoos. Mm -hmm. And he states like what they mean and blah blah blah. And uh, so yeah, like it's this very kind of like crude drawn style, but it has like you know a beauty to it. And I think I didn't like them when I first saw them. In fact, I'm relatively certain. But like it's actually become like so ingrained in like Western tattooing today that like lots of people just like copy these things, even though, you know, you have, you run the risk of like cultural appropriation from hardened criminals in Russia somewhere. But uh, anyhow, there's a lot like, there's like the very perverse ideas and drawings in a lot of the, in a lot of these like tattoo drawings, like lots of things like, you know, marking people who are homosexual, marking them if they're a thief, marking them if they've done this crime. So a lot of like forcibly applied tattoos too. But then like, yeah, just like a lot to like denote their rank in the criminal like uh, world at the time. But I would think from what I've read that like, you know, this is kind of like watered, like it's not like true to today. Like, you know, if you read this book and you see that, picture it doesn't mean that someone with that like you know has this rank or something you know but yeah. but it did at one time that's so interesting too though because you're working with history in that way as well and like cutting it up and kind of re rewriting things in the through making this art I love stuff like that yeah so yeah so like you know there'd be a lot of like kind of Russian stuff mixed in with the more traditional Americana sort of tattoos but yeah, I, I've, I eventually didn't use those as much. And yeah, I kind of get like new books every so often. And I say, okay, we'll cut these ones up. I don't cut up the physical books, but I make copies and cut those up. And, and then like whatever I'm doing changes as I go. But plus like, I mean, a lot of like the, the making of the cut-ups, like, you know, the idea, you know, is when I'm pulling from the box, but like, you know, the actual rest of it is like a whole other project. You know, and like, kind of like, uh, you know, we're talking about being a purist of like pulling from the box. I can be like such a purist in like how I work too. You know, it's like, I I kind of like only work with brushes when most people would use like markers to like make the work. And, uh, you know, and like, I'll just like, you know, I set like limitations on myself too. Like, you know, I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna do this set. Like, and I always do like a set, like maybe, three to six pages or something and um you know and like i decide generally ahead of time like oh it's gonna be like red and black it's gonna be red black yellow i'm gonna do like you know whatever like i kind of set some parameters which i don't know somehow like i like to create like with like limitations you know even though like it's self-imposed but yeah for some reason like i greatly enjoy that yeah, but if that works for you, it's like making like, to me, I just keep seeing like, you have to show these like in a gallery or something. <laughs> they sound like little like series, you know, and like you could you go for this series and can use this color palette, you know, and, and put this kind of boundary around it and then work within that, you know. Yeah, and a lot of times like I'll, 
know, like I might even be kind of stupid. I'll decide to try something extreme. And I'll be like, oh, and this time we're going to do 10 pages <laughs> with this like untested like uh, color scheme or like whatever else, whatever other untested thing I decide to do on that set. But I mean, I guess I'd like, you know, it's kind of like a problem solving thing, which maybe relates it to tattooing some that, you know, it's like, like tattooing is generally problem solving. <laughs> like, you know, you have the customer who, you know, whose job isn't to really think of good ideas and they bring you an idea, you know, good or bad or mediocre. So then like working with the person to actually try and build like uh, something good. And then, you know, then like even the tattoo process can be like a problem solving thing, you know, that the person's moving, they're not taking well, they have bad skin, you know, who knows like what happens once it begins. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I can also imagine people coming with ideas, but they don't understand like how you make tattoos. So maybe their idea isn't like really feasible for like the actual, like how to actually lay out a tattoo and you have to help them like turn it into something that's really workable. Yeah. And I mean, today with like everyone having a smartphone, you know, someone will have a picture of like a fresh tattoo on a finger and they're like, I want this. But like, thankfully my fingers are tattooed. So like, I can show you how it's going to look. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, you know, it's not going to be this delicate, pretty thing. You know, some people don't really understand like how a tattoo ages, you know, which I guess, you know, if you understand it, like I'll tattoo you everywhere. And I, you know, it's like, I'm not a psychologist, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm a tattooer. So like, I, you know, I, it's like my job for money, but like, you know, I will turn people away for certain things. If I think, you know, they still understand what they're doing. Like, I don't necessarily want to ruin their lives. Even though one time I heard that, you know, it's not the, the tattoo on someone's neck that's gonna like, like inhibit their jobs. It's their thought making process. <laughs> so there's that too who knows but i did notice that in your book too that you said that the way you make tattoos are like these like really clean lines that do tend to age better than maybe some other types of tattooing would yeah i mean i generally try to design for like yeah longevity you know there's a lot of tattooing i see today that you know i personally don't think it's gonna look very good in the future but you know what in reality like all tattoos are going to look kind of bad in the future <laughs> like no matter what you know and that's just like how a tattoo ages like you know there's a beauty in like an old man with like lots of blobs on him you know that were maybe like jailhouse tattoos like you know there's like a beauty to this aesthetic too you know and yeah it's like i mean i don't really agree with the idea of people who say that tattoos our art they're like oh protect your artwork it's blah 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 you know i think no it's actually like a tattoo like the tattoo is more about the mark you know like you've been marked at a certain time of your life at a certain place you know because something was going on psychologically and that's like what you carry it's not like you know your family history and you're the totality of your life in a five inch picture no it's totally something about like yeah like marking the body at like a certain time like you said I have a I think I think you might like this book this is the book that I eventually made after being obsessed with cut up it's called scansion and psychoanalysis and art scansion is just another word for like cutting like it, it's a psychoanalytic term it's like when you well the person who made it it used to like cut a session short if someone said something like very profound they'd be like stop there instead of like ending the session at like 45 minutes they'd be like stop when you say this like thing that like sounds really like like it like you should think about that like leave the office thinking about that what you just said because it was like really like on the mark um, but I just talk about how like artists work with this idea and like mark things, these certain kind of profound moments um, through other ways, through like artistic works. And like you said, like tattooing can be one of those ways to like mark something, you know, create this kind of cut in time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can definitely be that, but it also like doesn't have to be that. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? Can also, well, I mean, I like, it was like getting a holiday tattoo is generally a fun idea. You know, it's like, I mean, I'm very tattooed. So like, I don't, like, I'm not very particular 
I mean, I actually, I hardly get tattooed anymore, but like, you know, it's like, anyhow, it doesn't have to be a super well thought out idea. Yeah. I mean, because like, it is the mark, you know? And so, yeah. Yeah. Lucky, get lucky 13 tattoo. <laughs> so I have my hand tattooed on a Friday the 13th thing I did because I was bored on, on a holiday. And it's like, well, it's Friday the 13th. I'm sure someone's doing one of those uh, Friday the 13th statues. <laughs> And I sweat and did it. And actually it was like really interesting because like uh, the guy who taught the guy to tattoo me or to tattoo that was tattooing me was one of the first two guys that taught me to tattoo, you know, See? which was like, uh, uh, yeah, it was quite interesting and strange. And, yeah. But I love that. That's totally like a kind of way of moving through the world too. It's like, I just did this off the cuff, like, Oh, it's this holiday. And I go get one of these tattoos and then it ended up like turning into something that like, you know, it's affected your life. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Generally, I had, what were um, you saying? No, it's, yeah. It's generally like, yeah, it's fun. Like, I mean, that like to me, like getting tattooed a lot of times is about like who's doing the tattoo and just the general like environment, you know? Yeah. I somehow have no tattoos, which is very strange. I feel like for people, my generation and like the, like the music and kind of scenes that I like, but I did, I used to hang out at this tattoo shop in Miami or in Fort Lauderdale. <clears throat> and my friend Jose was always like trying to like get, you know, they would just give each other tattoos because they were bored or whatever. It's like, let me give you tattoos. So I just ended up like with a bunch of piercings from him <laughs> from that time. <laughs> I was like, here, give me a piercing instead. I bring friends and we get piercings, but I, I never get any tattoos. My husband thinks of himself as the illustrated man. He he was in Topi, he was in Temple of the Psychic Youth in the 80s. And he started what's called Topi Scan, which is like Topi Scandinavia. So he has like some Topi tattoos from that era. And then um, whenever he he's a writer, so whenever he like writes a new book or gets like an idea for a new book project, he goes and gets like a tattoo of like that project. So it's like, like illustrated man, kind of Ray Bradbury style. So he has yeah. a lot of tattoos. So he marks all the special occasions. Yeah, all of his creative projects. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to do it. I think a lot of tattooers, like, we become more about uh, trying to get, like, coverage, you know? <laughs> like, like I think the the image, like, becomes, like, secondary. For I mean, at least for me, like, totally. Like, the last, you know, I just got tattooed the last time a couple months ago. I hadn't been tattooed in probably a couple of years, but like, I just feel like, ah, the back of my legs are empty. You know, and a friend was like posting some picture that he wanted to do. And I was like, I'll do it. Why not? That'll fill that space up. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I feel like I have to get one at some point just to see what it's like, but I haven't yet. <laughs> Maybe start small and just see if you can live with it. Yeah, I almost got two when I was in high school. And one was, I was going to get a spider on my neck, like crawling up my neck. So I'm glad I didn't do that. Um, especially because the guy who drew it for me was like, you know, a two month relationship or something. And then, and then I almost got another tattoo, but then my friend got the one I was going to get. So now when she got it, I was like, well, I'm not going to get that. Cause, yeah, she got it. So that was, she kind of saved me from that decision because now it's like yeah I wouldn't think of it it was as cool as I did when I was 16 <laughs> that could be cute <laughs> you want to have a matching tattoo with your friend <laughs> that's true I guess I could have gone that direction but mine was like well she got it so now I can't do it which is why I think she got it too so <laughs> I actually do this thing where like I tattoo a logo of my face on people for only like 20 bucks and yeah i mean for one it's cheap it's funny like i mean but lots of people have got it. most people get it generally because like they know me and they think it's funny and like and lots of people have it already like almost 100 but like i've also tattooed it on people that just like saw it and liked it and didn't even know what it was you know and uh, but anyhow, it's like then like I also sometimes joke just people I'll be like this is your chance to be a part of something greater than yourself. <laughs> like, like I've heard stories from people like oh I was in Indonesia and like I was on the beach and uh, I saw someone with your face tattooed on them. You know, and like and so if you're like you know you don't have to be part of the club to enjoy that but like 
um, yeah, it's like, you know, so you can make such like strange connections by having matching tattoos sometimes too, you know? Is that part of the Brian Kelly army? That like actually is the Brian Kelly army. Nice. Name comes from, it was just, actually it was something I started doing when I began tattooing. Like, I guess like uh, Shepard Ferry was quite big at the time. I mean, maybe he still is, but I don't hear as much about him. But with his like obey, like uh, giant campaign, I was, and I had thought at the time, I was like, if you're going to do all this work, why wouldn't you like use your own face? <laughs> and like, uh, I'd started doing like a logo of my face and one of Andy Warhol from his US postage stamp, which came out early 2000s, I guess. Um, anyhow, but no one knew who Andy Warhol was. <laughs> I worked so yeah I just pushed the Brian Kelly army tattoo more cool I like it thanks yeah Carl and I have coined we call it we call it the 23rd mind like everybody who's on the like 23 current who knows what that is and like yeah ends up working with cut-ups and magic and stuff the 23rd mind so just the third mind it's even yeah. bigger collective yeah yeah i guess i don't meet too many people that are aware of like cut-ups or even especially not that are like into them like some people have been like why'd you call your book this <laughs> yeah i saw it and i was like who's this person <laughs> i have to meet him <laughs> tattoo person it doesn't uh, make much sense for a title for a tattoo flashbook but uh, i guess they hoped it to be more than like just the flashbook and there's like a lot of like tattoo flashbooks out so i wanted to like yeah do something a little more yeah and i don't i don't think anybody else is doing that i mean not that i know much about the world of tattoos but uh, i've never heard of that people like cutting up and, and remixing tattoos in that way i mean there is like something similar that even like don hardy or ed hardy would do that like you know, doing like a, a rose mashup, like a rose mashup is a thing in tattooing where you just take a rose and you mix it with something. A lot of times, maybe like a panther or something. So then you have this kind of, it's kind of like a cut up too, but, but I mean, it's not specifically a cut up. So this sort of like kind of mixing things isn't totally like foreign to tattooing. But I guess, I mean, I don't know anyone else that uh, like intentionally does cut ups. It actually cuts them out photocopies books cuts them out puts them in a box cuts them up and then remixes them <laughs> and after you put them together like when you put them in a box then you see like a general kind of idea and then you like draw it from there kind of more freehand i don't like place the things together actually i just like draw the two things out of the box and because it's a flash page it may have like multiple images on it it may not you know, it could like, unfortunately, I have like, I put some like Sailor Jerry girls in there. So sometimes one half of the box is just some women's legs, <laughs> which I guess is never. Really that can it. go with anything. <laughs> one of the two draws is like a zero, <laughs> you know, it's just like, wow, that doesn't really like give me anything. But like, because, it, you know, it's the flash pages. And like I said, I'm not actually cutting them together or placing them together. Like, you know, I just like, I just work on it. I say, okay. That's the thing I like best off of this image. And then like off the other page, I like this. So what can we do to put them together? And actually like a while ago, what I actually do is I like I use like scrap paper. That means like whatever, maybe I've drawn on it. Maybe I've just like, you know, who knows? But generally there's like images on the paper. So like I generally photocopy onto like used paper too. So that like creates oh, cool. a little more to it. And then like, you know, there's always like text and tattoos or there is a lot of times. And some of these things might just be like my bank statements that were like printed, like, uh, you know, tattoo flash onto and cut up. And then I just like go through these words and, and pick out a word. I love that. When I was right, when I was researching for this book, um, 
that's kind of like what Francis Bacon would do with his studio. Uh, Francis Bacon, the the artist, he he'd like uh, you know his studio was like famously this like huge mess where he just like had things thrown everywhere. And he had like art books everywhere and like postcards of paintings and things. And then he would like put paint canvases and like leave them on the floor and like walk on them and 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 like what he'd walk on like the postcards or whatever. And then he'd like pick things up and start like painting you know like Pope series and things. But like the scratches from him like basically rummaging around drunk in his studio and like knocking things over and messing things up those kinds of markings that would end up on the on the postcards that he was working from or the or the art books he would end up like using that to like spawn ideas and like integrating that when he would make the paintings which i think is really cool yeah wasn't his studio like recreated kind of as yeah it's in dublin that's what i thought yeah yeah it's in dublin actually yeah. I don't think I visited it though. It's definitely worth a visit, but of course it's all like in glass, you know, so you can't, you just like look at it, but um, yeah, it's cool that they kept it. Yeah. Well, it was very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yeah. And if you ever come to Sweden, let us know because Carl always needs new tattoos and uh yeah, and like I said, we just opened there, or they just opened a little tattoo shop in Vimmerby, but I don't know how many people in Vimmerby are getting tattoos, but we'll find out. See how that girl, how it's a woman who owns it, see how she's doing. Well, when we come, I'm sure I'll be in uh, Carl's Corona again sometime. And like, you know, even though like that's such a small town, like apparently it draws from like a very lar- large area because it's quite busy. So that's sweet- great. Swedes seem pretty into their tattoos. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely like, even though this is a small tattoo, it's like it's like ten thousand people. But like, I definitely see people that are all tatted up, like with face tattoos and neck tattoos and everything, walking around. So then people are around. Yeah, these guys that hang out <laughs> at Studio Sick Boys, like they're like a little more extremely tattooed than I'm used to being around myself, even. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little strange. Maybe it's an extra statement in rural Sweden. <laughs> it's like a big, like, kind of car culture, sort of like motorcycle stuff, too. And I don't know. I think, it's like, a lot of times that, like, some people who, like, hang, like, if you hang around a tattoo studio too long, you start to think this is normal. <laughs> you know, like, everyone else has their face tattooed. I'm tattooing <laughs> my face. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean anyhow. No, well, I mean, also like from my age range, I very much remember like all my friends that were heavily tattooed. They always like made sure that it didn't go like past their sleeves, so they could like you know if they need to go to court or on a job interview or something, they could wear a suit and like look presentable, you know. But that's doesn't seem to be how it is anymore. I remember growing up with that those ideas. Yeah, I sometimes think maybe I'm just old fashioned too, and. I'm not with it anymore. Who knows? Yeah, because now people seem to be like, like even like young girls, you know, they get they get all these like really tiny tattoos all over them. And it's like they won't be heavily tattooed, but the tattoos they have are like on their hand, on their neck. You know, it's like they only get them where you can see them. <laughs> and they just get these really little, little tiny, like very wispy tattoos like uh my husband's daughter she's got like a bunch of these like little tiny tattoos but but they're all like make sure you can see them whereas it used to be more like where your t-shirt would cover you know i think it depends like where you live too i'm not sure if this like matters for sweden but like when i lived in ireland it seemed like people got their hands and neck tattooed first because they wanted to show exactly (laughs) they want you to make sure you see it yeah the weather's so bad there it's like you're always wearing long sleeves (laughs) So, yeah. Totally. Yeah, and that car culture is big here too. I didn't realize when I moved to rural Sweden that there would be like lines of like old school American like cars from the 1950s and 60s always driving around, you know? It's like did not expect that, but I kind of like it. It's kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I never got into it myself, but yeah, I appreciate the cars, but Yeah. It's fun to look at, see them drive by the window. It's also there's not a lot going on in this town, so it's like, ooh, excitement. <laughs> which i guess is why they do it <laughs> gotta have something to do <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Brian Kelly. For more, visit his website, briankellyarmy.com and follow him on social media. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. Thank you so much to everyone in our Patreon community. Your support is so appreciated. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. Available from Chapar Books visit our publisher's website, trapar.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. And now the introductory track from my latest album with Pete Murphy, Night of the Hunter, available at Highbrow Lowlife's Bandcamp page. Just visit Highbrow lowlife.bandcamp.com Enjoy! Introduction Often our dreams are a way to encourage ourselves to remain asleep. You're asleep. You're asleep. You're asleep. You're asleep. You're awake. You're awake. You're awake. You're awake. You're asleep. You're asleep. You're asleep. You're you're asleep awake. You're awake. You're awake. You're awake. You're awake. You have been offered a choice. No, you cannot have both. <laughs>